This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cure a debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Welcome, 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 everybody. My name is Ryan David. I am joined by Bert. Hey, Bert. Hey, Ryan. How's it going this week? Oh, everything is going well, and we want to welcome everybody to another weekly edition of Unfiltered <laughs> Commentary in All Things Nerddom, Nerd Cognito. And this week, I think we have some very good things that would fall into that nerdy goodness category. Uh, we're going to start out tipping our hat to those who have served our country and paid the ultimate price and take a look at military, both real and fictional, in all of the nerdy fandoms and talk about just some of the best and the worst. Uh, we've got the news, of course, Bert. I think we have a pretty good news week. And at the end, I had this idea. Okay. You know, we were talking about the show before we went on the air. And we were talking about this last segment, and I said, well, Bert, you, you've known me for a long time, and I've known you for a long time, and we know the stuff or that each of us likes a lot. Why don't we tell the story of how we first dipped our toes in the fandom? So, without us pre-discussing what we're going to talk about. Okay. You know me well enough to say I know that Ryan likes blah, 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 blah. And I know you well enough to say the same. Sure, absolutely. We're just going to pull a Bill O'Reilly, say, fuck it, we're doing it live, <laughs> and, and let the chips fall where they may. And we'll share a little bit of insight and hopefully warm some nostalgic hearts out there in Nerd Cognito fan land. Sound like a plan? Sounds good to me. Well, then I say we get right to it and talk about military presentations in all of the things that we love. It could be tabletop role-playing, it could be board gaming, it could be pop culture. Think about it, Bert. Okay. What do you think was an excellent representation of military well, I mean, the first thing I think about is something large-scale, like maybe Independence Day or the Tomorrow War. You know, I've uh, never seen the Tomorrow War. Yeah, I mean, I, I caught it. It was not a bad movie. I definitely, if I had to pick one of the two, I would rather watch Independence Day than the Tomorrow War. But um, I think that, you know, when it came to, you know, showing their ability to adapt and overcome, their ability to plan a strategy, their ability to protect protect civilians to you know pull together in a crisis independence day i think is a great example of those sort of core military um concepts right right now i have to preface i, I guess we'll, we'll go with movies first since you opened that can of worms i do want to preface this that i have exactly zero zippity doodah experience in the military uh, I know that'll come as a shock to some people out there, but I am not a military guy. So I am looking at this through very, very civilian eyes. 
tons of respect because those guys do shit that that I could never do. Not on my best day. Oh my god! Tell you a real life military story. When I was teaching a undergraduate level course, I had a particular group of students that were very high military concentration. And those guys presented themselves in such a way that they instantly and totally gained my respect. They were also some of the most down-to-earth and sort of grassroots, I-could-relate-with-them guys ever. And I talked to them about this pick, just off the cuff, you know. And I said, what do you guys think? Because a lot of them were sci-fi nerds, and a lot of them played tabletop games when they were deployed. Like, they would get six-sided dice and just make up their own systems from what they remembered from the stories that they told me. But I said, uh, guys, I want to throw a movie out there because I think it is very much encapsulating of the military brotherhood and spirit. And, And they agreed with me. And that movie is Starship Troopers. Okay. By no means a great movie. <laughs> no, no, no. But, um, you know, I look at things that stick in my head. And just the bond that was represented in that movie between all of the the members of the cast and, or, or, I guess, members of the squad, right? Right. And in particular, the infamous shower scene, how... Something that was there for gratuitous tits and ass turned into a very somber band of brothers moment. Sure. I mean, they were all talking about sort of their hopes and dreams, what they were hoping to get out of military service. It was a, you know, like you said, they put it in there for the gratuitous nudity, but the dialogue and the uh, relationship building that they put in with that gratuitous nudity kind of sort of made you view them as people. Right. It was a stone-cold, sober, serious-as-a-heart-attack moment in that comedy movie. And um, it, it it just, I, I'll be honest with you, it took away all the glory of those titties hanging out. <laughs> it, <laughs> it did. But that would, that would be my pick for when I think of what the military bonding and spirit of family is that would be my pick for a great on-screen representation hey if you think i am completely bonkers because you know i am a civilian press please email us at nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com we thank you for your service in advance but we definitely want to hear your opinions too absolutely Let's, let's turn to video games bert military presences in video games Okay. Well, I mean, everybody thinks about things like Call of Duty. I tend to like the more like historical type of military video games. I'm trying to think of that. You know, one of my favorite ones was a, a World War II game. Not Ogre. No, 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 no. I'm, I go, I'm going too far back. Right. I thought things like when it comes to, you know, trying to create sort of an experience like i played call of duty world war ii and i thought that was pretty well done um well the original call of duty you know way back when in the early 2000s i also i played through it i played through more of that than i did modern call of duty i I have a general distaste for for the call of duty stuff that's out now right i remember it was an a straight up normandy d-day uh, World War II presentation, and uh, I thought it was very well done. I, I and I can't disagree with you. I thought that it, you know, the weapons stayed true to the period. The um, you sort of got a taste of that, you know, chaos, and you know, you you wonder like what was going through guys' heads who had to live through that kind of thing, whereas we're just seeing it on a screen. Right. We uh, are trying to, you know, live just a brief flash of both the the horror and the the somber i guess severity of what they were doing you know my grandfather was a world war ii battle of the bulge vet and i talked about anything and everything always my grandfather was the 
formative male figure in my life never would speak about the war. All he would ever tell me is, Ryan, war is hell, and I don't want to talk about it. So, you know, I, I get it. I get it a lot. I think I'm going to go in a different direction for my video game pick and go a okay. little more in the, the, I guess, near future slash sci-fi military presentation. You know what a huge fan I am of the XCOM series. Oh, sure. The UFO defense series. Yes, 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 yes. I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. When I, I, I still remember to this day when I had the fortune to attend whatever, I forget what year it was, but it was a game developers conference. And it was the GDC where they announced XCOM 2. And the only thing that Firaxis put up on the screen was a black screen with a slight silhouette, and you heard the the famous, Welcome back, Commander. And that was it. That was how they announced XCOM 2, and it was brilliant. And I, you know, needed to change my pants, and after <laughs> I got back to, to the main hall, I got to see... Uh, some of the the release details for it, but that seems like it was forever ago because it was. That was one of my more, I guess, fangirly moments that I've ever had at one of those conferences. Because you remember, in my former life, I used to try to weasel my way to get my employer to send me to those things, and sometimes oh, sure. it worked. <laughs> right, occasionally you'd be there. Right, right, and that was one of the times when it worked. All right, this one's going to be a little tougher. Let, let's. Go to the gaming realm. We'll combine both tabletop and board games because, you know, we want to not talk about it for an hour, but also we want to pick the absolute best representation of military life in honor of Memorial Day this year. Absolutely. And I mean, when it comes to military board games, there's kind of a... there. I mean, they're out there, but when you think of a military board game, you think of things like Risk and Axis and Allies and um, and the Insano War Gamers. By the way, Insano War Gamers, we love you. We just can't do it. Right, but you don't really think of sort of a representation of the military in those games. They're more like strategy battle map type things. Right, right. Um, So for me, I would have to go in the role-playing direction. This is one that's kind of near and dear to both of our hearts because of our love for Cosmic Horror. But I think about things like um, Acton Cthulhu. Yes, I just I just read through it cover to cover this weekend because we were talking about it several weeks ago and it was on my list. So when I think about a representation of the military, because with a tabletop role-playing game, you take on the roles of those characters. So, you know, when you think of, you know, what would a what would your military your character with military training, military background do in that situation? I think that role-playing is a lot more likely to reflect sort of what we're going for here, that military theme, rather than playing Risk and trying to take over Europe. Fair enough. I, I'll go the board game route, and I am going to talk about <clears throat> a board game that I think has been lost to the ages, but is a great sort of tongue-in-cheek representation of all that it does, which also includes the military. And it's one of my personal favorites from back in the day, and that's Monsters Menace America. Oh, wow. I haven't thought about that game in a long time. I don't even know. Have you ever played it with us? I have not. It is uh, old school Avalon Hill pre-Wizards of the Coast days. <laughs> Giant monsters rampaging across America, and you have to mobilize your military, among other things, to, to stop them. Absolutely the the pinnacle of military on a map for me, right? Because I am not going to do the tactical wargaming thing where my cannon moves and I need to bend the ruler and all of that shit. This is bored, funny giant kaiju monsters and a bunch of fucking tanks and airplanes. <laughs> nice. It, it, it's great, you know, the headlines are monsters coming across Chicago. That would be what is on the radio 
when you tune in for the news for the week. <gasps> what did I say? News. I did the news. What's good in nerdy news this week? Right? Oh, uh, a lot of a lot of interesting things. Some callbacks to some news stories that we've talked about in the past. Some stuff that I know you and I will be excited about in video game land, and uh, well, you know, money. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Fair. where I'm going to start. I I know you're not a huge crypto investor. Not you're not as into it as Mikey and I are. No, no. I mean, I'm familiar with the concept. I know some of the different types of cryptocurrency. I'm not a, like you said, I'm not a huge crypto investor. And and thank goodness for that, you know, because no shitting you, Bert. I've been cut by like 65% on my crypto portfolio. It's, ug- it's ugly right now. Um, but that being said, I've been cut 65% on my crypto portfolio before. And I have faith, especially since I'm kind of a a long guy. You hear that, ladies? Uh, I'm kind of a long guy, so I know that it will recover. And this is kind of good news for me because the one thing that I think could trigger a huge rally for one of my major positions is the merger of Ethereum. Now... I'm not sure how into this scene you are, so I'm going to give you the the Reader's Digest version of it, okay? Okay. We know that Ethereum's kind of like the number one slash number two. It flip-flops with Bitcoin as far as being the crypto that everybody knows. Well, Ethereum was proof-of-work concept coin. The same as as Bitcoin, right? Miners go out there buy up all the goddamn GPUs so that we can't get them for our gaming (laughs) (laughs) and effectively farm currency. Well, Ethereum sort of saw the writing on the wall that that's not the best method for both a long-term strategy because of energy consumption and, you know, you know me, whatever. I'll be dead before the Earth is gone. But right now, there are moments where mining is a net loss. I can see that. I mean, you know, from what I've read, Bit- Bitcoin and Ethereum and things like that, actually obtaining them through mining is a very, you know, labor-intensive and cost-intensive process when it comes to equipment, electricity, keeping that keeping that equipment running like maintenance and yeah the days are know. gone where you and I could set up an old computer in the basement and mine a bitcoin um, those days are long long gone it's going to be a net loss once you factor in your power costs for anyone except for really serious and aggressive miners that are dealing with commercial rigs if not farms so okay. uh, that's the proof of work concept Ethereum is changing to what's called a proof-of-stake concept, which is a validation. I don't want to get too technical and have people's eyes glaze over, but pretty much every time a transaction hits the blockchain, you know, work has to be done by all the computers on the chain to validate the transaction, and that's how it works without a centralized government or bank or whatever doing it. Well, proof-of-stake is a consensus mechanism where sort of all the computers and all of the people on the chain are giving a thumbs-up to make sure that only legitimate transactions get added to the block. How do I do that as Joe on the street? Well, let's say I've got 50 grand in Ethereum. I would stake, as it were, my 50 grand which means that I'm effectively locking it up. Think of it like a certificate of deposit, right? Okay, that makes sense. And um, I am backing up $50,000 worth of validation when I do that. And as a thank you, I might get 3 4 5 6% back, right? Okay. So it's very similar to like a certificate of deposit. Okay, that makes sense. When this transition happens... The cost of a transaction on the Ethereum network should be significantly reduced. 
Well, that's good, right? It's incredibly good because it means that it's more practical to use it as a daily driver currency, which is its mm. ultimate goal. It also means that you're going to have a more secure network because you're not going to have a bunch of bogus things on the chain. So Ethereum 2.0 has been talked about for a long time, and now it's looking like it might actually happen in August. They renamed it. It's not Ethereum 2.0 anymore. It's now the Merge. Terrible name. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little rough. But, you know, as far as nerdy news goes, that's great. It's almost like you should have a lot less junk and, you know, it's almost like stopping counterfeiting. And you know what? It, it might give the crypto market the kick in the ass that it needs to get out of this this nasty, nasty slump that it's in right now. I just want to see Ethereum back up at $5,000 a coin. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's what I want to see. That's that's well, what I want. I'll say. I'll certainly be keeping an eye on it because it's it's interesting to me because you know you know anybody in the tech world you know you hear about crypto a lot so you know I'll be interesting to see a major player making this transition how does it impact them I'll be interesting to see how, it'll be interesting to see how that goes I strictly view it as an investment at this point because my heart has broken when I realized that I had the opportunity and I actively considered buying a shit ton of Bitcoin back when it was, oh, about 28 cents a coin. Oh, now, no. Now, this was years ago. Um, right, in the early days. In the early days when I had not two dimes to rub together. And I, uh, I passed because I literally had zero bucks. Right, I had I had a similar thing come across where I had an opportunity to invest. This was years ago before I even met my wife, but at that time I was 19 years old. I didn't have, you know, anything. I could barely afford ramen. Right, I was about that age. I, I, it's in that ballpark. I remember talking about it with the blonde devil. She and I were talking about it. I was like, you know, there's this thing I should really... You know, buy a hundred or two hundred bucks of that. She's oh no, let's just go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, last week, maybe two weeks ago, something like that. We told you about a Norman Reedus interview, where you know someone said, "Oh yeah, and Death Stranding. When are we going to see that? Oh, we're working on it now. Wait, wait, wait. What?" <laughs> Right, Norman let it slip. Well, Kojima finally uh, came out and acknowledged the slip and just tweeted to Norman Reedus, go to your private room, my friend, and then tweeted a bunch of pictures of them in production. So, <laughs> uh, way to take it in stride, I've got to say. You know, we talked about this with Konami and Silent Hill, right? If, right. if something blips out, and it's going to eventually. You turn it into a positive, and right. and Kojima <laughs> totally right. did. So yeah, I mean, how many people? You know, how many fans does Norman Reedus have? You know, you've got an opportunity here to capitalize on an existing fan base, get people excited about it. Sure, it might have gotten out by mistake, but it's a great PR opportunity. And and that's exactly what it is. They, you know, it's a nod. Yes, of course, we're doing it. There's zero details, zero anything. But, uh, you know, he took it in stride and responded with some great comedy, which is as it should be. So that, that's a, a little quick hit this week in the news to follow up on our, our story from a couple weeks past. What else you got, Ryan? I've got some board game news. I don't remember, okay. and I don't know how into the board game scene you were in your youths days, you know? Well, I mean, you know, growing up, I had all the classic board games, but I didn't really get interested in niche board games until, like, the release of HeroQuest. Right, right. That's that's about where I am, too. And I started paying attention to, you know, at, at that time, what would have been niche board games that also followed into, you know, my fandoms. And there was always the 
the rumor of the Japanese Legend of Zelda board game. Okay. Hyrule Fantasy. And, you know, then the internet came around and people could see pictures of it. It was real. Look at this. This is so cool. Why did it never come over here? Bandai, why did you not release this here? And then broadband came. And high-resolution scanning came, and the pirates came. Oh, the pirates. And, yeah, well, I, love I, those. I'm ashamed to say, because it was never available in, in, in the States. At one point in time, I did have all of the high-res files for this game, because I was considering printing it as a print-and-play. Well, now there is an official translation project that has not yet been squashed by Nintendo or Bandai. So Hyrule Fantasy may see an English translation and a U.S. release? Hyrule Fantasy may see an unofficial English translation and a U.S. release. Now, I hold my breath on this. This is very much akin to the other Zelda issue that we talked about in the past, which was the HD Ocarina of Time. I think it's only a matter of time until... You know, a takedown comes this way. But it's out there. It's a fan project. It's based entirely on the 1980, I want to say, 8 board game. Yeah, I mean, the it's exciting, but it's kind of exciting with a caution. I mean, it sounds like something that's got a target painted on it. And I agree with you. It's probably just a matter of time before it disappears. Because this project's been around for a long time. It's just now getting a little more buzz because of the anniversary of, of Zelda that has passed this year. It was the 25th anniversary. 25 years. Yeah. Huh. Make you feel old? Well, considering <laughs> that I remember when Zelda was brand new and exciting, yes. I remember. I don't remember what birthday it was, but I remember I really wanted Zelda when it was going to launch. And, you know... We've talked about it before. I was a tad spoiled as a child, but I didn't get it on launch because my birthday was shortly after launch. It launched in February. My birthday was May. My mother bought it on launch and, quote, hid it in the top drawer of the roll-top desk. So I looked (laughs) at that fucking cartridge for three months when they weren't home. Oh, son of a... That's terrible. Before I got to play it. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the gold box with the gold cartridge. I must have read the back of that box three or four hundred times. And then my birthday came around and they couldn't figure out why I went for the package that was the size of a fucking video game. (laughs) Again, I don't remember what birthday it was. But I do remember that roll-top desk, and it was in the top drawer where Ryan would never look. (laughs) And I found it almost a day or two after she bought it. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you know, as a kid, you looked at everything everywhere. I was just smart. That's what I like to say. (laughs) Smart, nosy, same thing. Yeah, little shit. Speaking of video games in the role-playing world... One of our favorite series is, quote, working hard on building the next entry in the mainline series, and that would be Dragon Quest. Ooh. Ah, I, I love Dragon Quest. As do I. As do I. Dragon Quest Twelve, Bert. We're on 12. The Flames yes, yes, of are. Fate. The team is hard working on building the new game, but... They have no anticipated release timeline, and there will be lots of other Dragon Quest games released before then. Yeah, I mean, you have a the, there are certain things that you expect from a Dragon Quest game after you know playing multiple entries of the series, like slimes. You always expect puff puff. <laughs> you know, I I would not be surprised if puff puff does not make an appearance coming up because. I recall reading a handful of articles, more than likely from our friends and kin in the Sparkle Troll community, 
but I remember specifically reading articles about how misogynistic and just terrible and defiling of women Puff Puff was. And that was with Dragon Quest Eleven, and that was before Wokies done lost their whole mind. So, oh. I don't know. Are we going to see Puff Puff in Dragon Quest Twelve? That's a good question. I mean, it was sort of a like a running in joke. It was a staple of the series for a number of years. But yeah. yeah, will it be? Will that sort of running gag continue? Oh, I hope so. Everybody likes a plus five charm boost. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's shown up as an incapacitation skill. Like there were all kinds of different uses for Puff Puff. Oh, I will tell you this. You know, I regardless of the outcome. I'm down for Puff Puff. Last but not least, non-Puff Puff related, but totally Fat Man related. Okay. Wendy's, the fast food chain. Right. Famous for Dave Thomas and the Frosty. It is once again going to bastardize the Frosty. Oh, no. And this June... This month, you will see a launch of the Strawberry Frosty. Wait, what? <laughs> you heard it correctly. The Strawberry Frosty features a vanilla Frosty blended with fruity strawberry-flavored syrup. This is according to an unverified company memo, but uh, they will remove the vanilla Frosty from national menus throughout the summer to maintain a two-flavor Frosty program being strawberry and chocolate. And then the vanilla Frosty is slated to return in September. So when did the Frosty go the route of, like, the shamrock shake? I don't know, because a Frosty was always not quite chocolate ice cream deliciousness. Right, right. Period. That's it. And then I, I do remember the vanilla frosty, and I, I'll admit, you know, I, I like my vanilla. I I'll, I've had vanilla frosties. I've had them do half and half, which which is always a a, a, a tasty treat. Strawberry, not so certain. Right. I mean, it's a popular like shake flavor. You see it in a lot of places, but I wonder how that's going to go with. Because a Frosty isn't quite a shake and isn't quite ice cream. You know right, what I mean? Right, And it's replacing vanilla? Mm. Hmm. I don't know. But I'll try it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I will. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go eat a Frosty. Uh, what can I say? That's the, that's the news this week, Bert. Fair enough. So we end, we end with dessert, which is the way all good meals end. That's how it should be. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. As we look at the, the tail end of the show here, we sort of get to stroll down memory lane. And then we'll go and have a strawberry frosty. I wonder, I mean, it's June. I wonder if it's on the menu now. I'll have to check it out. We've got a Wendy's right near my house. I'll have to find out. Hop in the car and get yourself a strawberry frosty. And you know you're going to hate it. I mean, I can tell you right now, I know I'm going to hate it. Right, I'm not a huge fan of <laughs> strawberry shakes unless they're really good to start with. I can't imagine that this strawberry frosty is going to be, you know, the amazing food that I've always dreamed of or anything. I, I'm sure that it's not, but say la vie. No vanilla until September. We're re I'm really perseverating on this frosty, man. That was supposed <laughs> to be a short, like thirty second article, and I'm I'm, I'm like fuck them, take away the vanilla frosty. <laughs> You're, you're like you're like that guy who goes to the drive-through and gets mad at the gets mad because they're out of chicken nuggets or something. What a spectacular film is falling down, if I may, <laughs> if I may take your thought a, a step further. Uh, can I not tell you how much I love the film Falling Down? Always have, always will, and now it's finally getting the comeuppance that it deserves. But I liked it since day one. I'm just gonna say. If you've never seen Falling Down, go watch Michael Douglas lose his shit. So we sort of told everybody at the top of the show what we were going to finish with. We, we telegraphed it, 
We've known each other a very long time, my friend, and we know the things that we like and the things that we dislike. And True. Just cold. No prep. I'm going to put this out there. We have not prepped this. There's no cheat sheet in front of us. Bert is going to dig into something that he knows that I have a great love or fandom of that falls into the the world that would be interesting for the Nerd Cognito listeners, and I'm going to tell the tale of how it started, and then I get to turn the tables on him. And then we'll say goodbye for the week. Well, that and, seems fair. And, and that's, how it, that's how it's going to work this week. So think of all that is me. This sounds so egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, think of me, only me in your brain. Now ask me a question. You, you like that, don't you? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what sort of nerdy thing do you want to know how I got my hooks into originally? Well, I mean, considering, you know, we've talked about them, we've played them together, we've reviewed them on the podcast before, I would like to know, you know, you have... You have more board games in your house than I've owned in my entire life. And I want to know where did this sort of love and addiction of board games come from? This actually does go all the way back to when I was a child. Um, I was an only. Surprise. One of the things that I loved were board games because as an only child without brothers and sisters, the activity where I could have legitimate, and, and, you know, this is adult me looking back and reflecting on it. Sure. But legitimate, authentic, sort of sibling-esque interactions with my friends was through a board game. That was, that was the, the vehicle where I got to experience that sort of back and forth and camaraderie and whatever you call it. Sure, absolutely. I can see that. So it didn't start with family game night. You didn't rope your parents into playing board games. Well, it, it did strictly... start with my parents. Like, I distinctly remember playing Monopoly with my grandfather, and he hated it, but I got really good at it really fast. <laughs> and I hate using Monopoly as an example because, you know... That's a bad word in the board game community right now. But it's true. You know, I played it with my grandfather, and we'd play cards. And then it expanded to, I had these board games that I was salivating to get out when my friends were there. And then, only child syndrome kicked in further. I, for lack of a better term, started soloing these board games as a child, right? So I would play them with or against myself. Okay. And it, it, it just sort of snowballed there, where I had, before it was the thing to have, an entire walk-in closet of board games as a child. And this is like when right. board I games mean- were not quite commonplace you know now there are stores dedicated to them at that time you were lucky if you got a four-foot shelf in kmart right i mean back then that that was impressive like you must have had like all of the weird ones that you never see on anybody's shelf like triominoes and i did and i still have some of them packed away in the giant white cabinets in the game room you know the ones i'm talking about Sure. Some sure, old school though. ones like Castle Risk. Oh wow. And uh you know the the original Donkey Kong game where it had a little plastic Donkey Kong with a mechanical arm and he would distribute the barrels. The the actually... WWF VHS board game. <laughs> <laughs> Those VHS board games could be a segment by themselves. Those they had a ton of them. Oh, they don't were get me really started. Man. When we were kids, I fucking love Nightmare. 
Oh, yeah, I played Nightmare. That was one of the ones that I fondly remember from the video, the VHS board game craze. And I have the sequel to it as well. They are also in the white cabinets. If you ever want to play them, just let me know. Um, Atmosphere, The Harbingers, which it, I guess they were hoping to kick off a whole series, but it didn't work. <laughs> right, right. It was The Harbinger of nothing. Yeah, right, right. So, um, no, that's, you know... That's sort of where it started. And then around the late 90s, early 2000s, the very niche hobby games started coming out. And right. I had them, and I started pulling that in. And now it's just it's just like a wet dream come true because there is never a shortage for, for board games. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I almost bought one today. And, really? What was it? Uh, Calico. Calico. Not familiar with it. It's a tile-laying game of, think, Baron Park, only okay. only in Calico Cat fashion. And that's the reason I didn't buy it, because I have Baron Park. I have several other games in that genre, like Patchwork. Right, right. Something with a similar mechanic that's just reskinned. If it doesn't bring anything new to the table... No, it's I very well see. received, but there is nothing amazing about it. So, okay. so I uh, I opted to 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 pass on you know sewing a quilt to attract cats is is the theme of the game. You don't want to buy a game that you're not going to play. It just sits on the shelf and gathers dust. For you, it seems like gaming has always been a way for you to interact with your friends and that continues right up to the present day so that makes total sense to me yeah i mean it it is slightly pathetic when i think back to to the things that 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 are the root of my love for board games but that's 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 my father's fault i mean come on you should have knocked up mom (laughs) (laughs) all right your turn my friend all right hit me i uh, this is not going to be a surprise to you, I don't think. I don't think. It, it might be. You, you've you tried to, to steer my ship in this direction multiple, multiple times. And I steadfastly have refused. <laughs> <laughs> but you are a huge fan. Huge fan of Korean drama specifically, television in general. What was the root of your love for K-drama? Okay, so this actually only started a few years ago, believe it or not. Um, my wife and I started um, getting streaming services and things like that. We were phasing out cable because of the time our cable provider was ridiculous. For a bundle package, like the monthly fees were astronomical to just watch shows that we liked. So we started... It started with something simple, a Japanese show, Iron Chef. Oh, who we've talked about Iron, Iron Chef, Chef before. Right. Jen and I loved Iron Chef. We watched Ale that show. Cuisine. Right. And that was a Japanese show. Well, um, when I was looking at streaming services, there was a free one called Vicky, which is a uh, which was at the time it was totally free, and you could watch Korean shows with English subtitles. And I was like, well, like that Japanese show about food, I discovered a Korean drama about food called Let's Eat. And um, actually, the food on the show was so amazing. It's what got my wife and I into cooking Korean food because it's basically a comedy series about a food critic. Well, actually, he's an insurance salesman, but he's obsessed with food. So he knows everything about the dishes he's going to eat. If somebody, like if he takes somebody out to eat and they make one wrong comment about the food, he just acts shocked and then gives them a huge lecture about why this food is amazing. And the food, the dishes on the show were so like, like you've heard of food stylists. They were styled so perfectly. You wanted to eat everything, even things I'm allergic to. I'm like, that looks amazing. I want that. And from there, like, I was like, okay, so we found this Korean drama, and then I I got into Korean comedies, and then I saw Train to Busan, which was a Korean um, zombie movie. 
which, which I think was the best option for me to give it a shot because it was incredibly well received and well reviewed, and and I still couldn't jump on the ship even then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Train to Busan was amazing, but it got me interested in Korean horror and then police dramas. Like, it's just interesting to see sort of what they will show, what they won't show, how the cultural differences are different as far as that's concerned. But um, I kind of, I kind of got sucked into the fandom and it all started with one silly little com little silly little comedy show about a guy obsessed with food because as you know i'm a guy obsessed with food and i just kind of went down the rabbit hole from there never looked up i was watching new k dramas this week what what is the new k drama du jour that you're enjoying um i actually just finished one on uh on netflix uh believe it or not that was um, a really interesting comedy romance drama, which outside of my normal realm, but it was actually really good. It was about a guy who's misophobic and germ adverse and has um, some issues in that area, who is the CEO of a cleaning company, and this girl who just kind of tears his whole world apart and... uh, sort of makes him rethink things. And it was kind of really interesting seeing the sort of dichotomy between the characters. One of them, like, wears white gloves, has three sinks in his bathroom, and will wash his hands at each sink before he leaves the bathroom. Like, he is totally obsessed with avoiding germs any way he can. And the other one is just kind of living her life. She works picking up garbage. Like, she gives no thoughts to germs Kind of at all. So it's the Korean odd couple. Pretty much. It's called Clean with Passion for Now is the most recent one that I finished. Not a great title translation, guys. No, no. They could have done (laughs) a lot better with that. But if somebody's going to start with Korean dramas, it's all going to depend on what they like. Some of the Korean like police dramas, they always have like an interesting element to them. If you're gonna watch, if you're gonna start somewhere, you might start with something like I think it's still on Netflix. There was a Korean drama. The one I'm thinking of is called Black, and basically, um, the Black is a really weird sort of police procedural where the a Grim Reaper takes over a police detective's body to try to find a soul that's hiding from judgment. Interesting. And it, kind of all goes from there. So it's got sort of fantasy elements and then like real police procedural kind of elements as well. It's it's really interesting. It sounds absolutely fascinating if if you can get your head around it, which I just can't, you know. There, right, there's enough me? procedurals <laughs> sure. that are on and I mean Can I can yeah, I can yeah, I, can I play like that, that and not get not get taken down we'll find out i think so i think so um hey everybody likes what they like right sure i mean i am watching are you being served for about the five millionth time in my life just because british sitcoms i mean it's 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 what we watch and that is totally okay just like what you listen to and you're listening to Nerd Cognito from your favorite podcast provider, and we hope that you are subscribed to it. We hope that you are sharing it, telling all of your friends about it, because you don't want to miss a minute of the newest nerdy goodness. But it's not all the newest nerdy goodness, Bert. I actually, at the request of some of our listeners, have started to go back through the archives to the very early shows that did not have, we'll say, the best audio quality for one reason or another, Mike. Um, Right, and his jet engine of a computer. And to be fair, to be fair, I have since upgraded a lot of hardware. So, you know... I accept a solid 2% of the responsibility for the terrible, terrible audio in those early episodes. But people have said, hey, c- can you clean these up? Can you make them so that 
We don't want to stab our eardrums with a ice pick. And I'm going to start to go back and not spend a ton of time on it, but do a quick and dirty remaster, so to speak. And the first one is up. I'm just updating the files on the feed. So as you go back to some of the vintage shows, you will hopefully hear some better audio. Uh, the one that I did was the infamous Brandy Braids episode. Ah, yes, in the pre-Burt era. In in the pre-Burt days, uh, we remastered the Brandy Braids is Coming episode, and uh, it, it's up there for, well, <laughs> you guys will see. Go back. I think it's episode 103. As you go through, if there's an episode that you hear that is absolutely atrocious, please email us, nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com. And we will put it to the front of the line to get remastered. By atrocious, Ryan, of course, means sound quality, not just that you hate him. Well, well yeah, it goes without saying. It goes without saying. Uh, it's still not perfect, and it won't be perfect. I think I'm going to probably toss a little disclaimer on the front of them. But uh, let's face facts. I mean, if you're going back through the archives and listening to the old stuff, you're very specifically looking for something, or you really hate me, and you want to hate me some more. So, <laughs> so you know, win-win. Um, but you can only do that through the podcast provider of your choice, where, of course, you've hit that big old subscribe button. And uh, that's it for us this week, Bert. That was a pretty interesting week. Yeah, yeah, I think it was fun. It was interesting to to get a little peek behind the curtain of each of our brains. How scary is that? We'll have to do that again down the road. Um, yeah, maybe next time we'll talk about something that each of us absolutely hates, and we'll talk about why that is. Oh, I could never talk about things that I dislike. <laughs> never, <laughs> right. never, never. It would be like I had sound effects or something that... That, that would be akin for the things that I dislike. Uh, I could never, ever do that. But uh, tune in and find out if I do. My name is Ryan David. I was joined by Bert. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great week, everybody, and be safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>